This is Set Aside Some Time, an MSPN podcast, and it's brought to you by the National MSP Network, or MSPN for short. And now, on to the episode. Well, thank you everyone for setting aside some time for us today, and welcome back to the podcast. I am this week's host, Jennifer Shemansky, and joining me um, this week is Julie Garrison from Nyan Bambert, Kinsley, and Lowry, and Steve Miller, who is currently our VP at um, MSPN Network. So we are this week going to talk about opioids and how they impact MSAs. And I think maybe before we get started, I'll ask each of you to give us a little uh, background and how you got kind of involved in the Medicare secondary payer um, industry. Steve, did you want to go first? Okay, well, thank you, uh, Jennifer, and I appreciate the opportunity to spend a little time with everybody here about a topic that is really an important one for MSAs. Um, My undergraduate pharmacy degrees from Iowa and my graduates from Maryland, so I have two thirds of the country covered, and I was born out west, so I have the whole thing covered, so we'll take care of that. And I think I got into MSAs 2006, Part D was born, And I was working with a lot of senior citizens at the time because part of my, I enjoy working with in the geriatric space. That's how I got interested in it. And then about 2010 or 11, I saw that uh, the predecessor in name to MSPN, NAMSAP, was having a meeting in Chicago and I happened to be up there and I went to it. And that was like 10 years ago. And that was like the beginning. And I've just been real involved since then, simply to help senior citizens, especially, you know, with their medicines and saving money, as well as people in their 50s and so forth that have had injuries and are going to be taking meds for a long time. Yep. Steve's what's known in our group as the drug guy. Whenever we have questions, we go to Steve, so we call him the drug guy. (laughs) How about you, Julie? When did you start getting involved with the Medicare secondary therapies? So I have, um, I've been um, an Illinois workers' comp defense attorney for more years than I care to share, but about six years ago, I got into the uh, MSP space and became certified and, you know, met a lot of people in the community and uh, then moved to the Nyhan firm in 2017. So I became part of their um, MSP compliance team and uh, I know of Steve as the drug guy because I'm on the data and development committee and you know, he is absolutely our go-to guy. So he is good. across the industry, which is why he's the, currently the VP at MSPN. I'll send you guys your checks next week. <laughs> there you go. So um, we wanted to, to do at least one podcast and, and possibly you know, we can expand this into a series really talking about the drug piece. And, and you guys know this from being around it. You know, MSAs were, were kind of the issue and, you know, people had to worry about them before. But man, oh man, once, once the drug piece came in on Medicare, it, it really just blew up, you know, a lot of those MSAs. And so there's still just a, a lot of talk about, you know, how you address those and what you do. So we're going to start by zooming in a little bit today and really talk specifically about the opioids because truly there's, those are the one category that I think just you know across the board can blow up the price of the MSA. So Steve, maybe we'll have you as the drug guy give us a little background. What are they, you know, how, why are they just so impactful on these MSAs? 
Well, you know, opioids uh, generally are a class of drugs that are naturally found in the opium poppy plant, as most people know, that are, that are uh, grown all over the world, legally and illegally, and they work in the brain. Uh, they produce a variety of effects in the brain, including the relief of pain with many of those drugs. Uh, they can be prescription medicines, often referred to as painkillers, or they can be so-called like street drugs, like heroin and some others, you know, and, and fentanyl is the big issue right now too. Many prescription opioids are used to block pain signals between the brain and the body and are typically prescribed to treat moderate to severe pain. Now, some people have asked me, is acetaminophen, Tylenol an opioid, and it's not, but that is just about as good a pain reliever as anything else on the market. In addition to controlling pain, opioids can make some people feel relaxed, happy, or high, and can be addictive. And maybe on another show, we can talk about the schedules one through five from the DEA and how that relates to addiction potential. Additional side effects from opioids, you can have a slowed, slowed breathing, constipation is a big one, no pun intended, nausea, confusion, and drowsiness. So that's kind of a summary of what opioids are. Yep. So not necessarily even thinking in the MSA context, but just as a person, you know, you have this claimant or whoever it is, and they start taking an opioid. What does that kind of portend for their future? Or what are the concerns, I guess, when you get that claimant, you see that they're, you know, starting to take some opioids? What, what, should, what should we be thinking now? I think the first thing, one of the most important things is the prescriber that is working with the patient to help them with their pain. Most prescribers are very aware that you can't give people opioids for a very long period of time without some type of serious side effect. Usually it's the constipation, sometimes it's the breathing slowdown, uh, the drug interactions that are involved with that. So I think the biggest thing is the prescriber and the fact that the prescriber is very careful on what they're prescribing in opioid therapy for the patient rather than a prescriber that just gives the patient the prescription they want to either get them out of the office, get them off the phone, or get their money. So yeah. I, the, my, I've seen, you know, that, that's probably the biggest issue of all. Right. So Julie, let's kind of talk actual, you know, cases and case handling. What are you thinking you know, as a defense attorney, or you can put on the hat, you know, in, in the MSP area when you're doing the allocations, what are you thinking when you see these and they, and they, you know, have the opioids in them? What's your kind of first thought? Well, my first thought is what you touched on earlier, that it's going to blow up my MSA, blow up a possible settlement. You know, you're not going to have a person that ends treatment, you know, easily or soon. So uh, yeah, I want to get them off the, the opioids. And you know, I think you have to be proactive, you know, whether you're defense or you know, even the claimants council. Um, you know, claimants council can, as Steve mentioned, you know, interact with the prescriber and yeah, go to the source and see what can be done there. But you know, from a defense standpoint, you know, we want to monitor that medical care very carefully, work with your claims handlers and identify cases where it's going to be a high risk 
you know, claim it, you know, so come up with some kind of a strategy. It's not going to be an overnight solution. You know, these things kind of take time to work through. Right. And oftentimes, you know, by the time you're seeing it, you know, in the category, uh, working on it in defense, or if you're getting them and you're, and you're, you know, working through the allocation piece, you have people that have been, you know, these are usually older cases, right? This isn't the injury that just happened you know, how long ago. And so they've, pro there's the potential that they've been taking those for, for a period of time already. And Steve, I'll flip back to you. If we get to that point and, and they're kind of already on it, let's say you're a year, two years into this case being open. Um, what, you know, medically or, or pharmaceutically, what are the chances that, that it's going to go down instead of up on their usage? Well, you know, opioid use uh, does involve a lot of risks, you know, regularly use of their medications, they can increase your tolerance and therefore your, your level of what you need in terms of the opioid drug can go up and up. You might go from a five milligrams or a 2.5 milligrams twice a day of hydrocodone in a combination as a Norco or Lortab up to all the way to 10, you know, three times a day simply because you've developed tolerance. So, you know, that, that could be an issue. You know, we talked about the addiction a little while ago. I think of another big issue is your ability, what opioids can do at higher doses to impact your breathing. And if you've already got other breathing issues, if you've got emphysema or COPD or whatever, that can make a big, a big deal. And then also I wanna stress the drug interactions potential. There are so many drugs that can impact one way or the other, the how the opioid will affect your body Another drug might decrease the amount of metabolism done to the opioid, so your high dose could almost kill you, or you could get a drug that increases the, that, that decreases the metabolism and keeps it in there. So you really need to be careful of the drug interactions, and that's where um, you know, a pharmacist uh, doing a review for you can really help. Right, and so Julie, I think that's the point, right, is this needs to be done when you're doing case handling as soon as, you know, you need to try and keep your hands on this just right away, right? It's not an at settlement time. I mean, we could, we'll talk a little bit about things we could potentially do, but you want to be um, keeping your arms around this really from the get-go, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, you're right. A lot of times I don't see cases, even as a defense attorney, certainly as, uh, you know, someone who's doing the MSA mm -hmm. until, uh, treatment pattern has been long established with use of these drugs. Um, you know, if you want to get into, you know, what, what we do, I, I think the number one tool has to be an independent medical examination. You want to get an opinion that, uh, you know, opioids for chronic non-malignant pain is no longer a reasonable or appropriate treatment plan. And, you know, even take a step further and recommend, that this individual participate in detox or rehabilitation programs. And then, you know, take those opinions to your claimant, to the claimant's counsel and see if you're going to get any kind of cooperation. That's really the first step. You know, and as Steve indicated, there's so many issues, right? And so, uh, you know, we found also, it's not just that opioid itself, right? It's potentially other medications that they're taking that, um, that go right along with that. You mentioned the constipation um, there. I forget what the drug name is, but that's a very expensive uh, drug, right? 
that um, that can that a lot of the people that are on heavy opioids are taking for the, the anti-constipation. Yeah, there are several drugs that were found, you know, that are used, um, probably abused more than more than used, but they can run a lot of money. And if you have one in an MSA, and when you turn something into CMS, and, and you don't include that, and you're talking, you know, $1,000 a month, which is not unusual, that's, you know, $30 a dose or $30 a day, mm-hmm. that, that can add up a lot, you know, just treating a side effect. Yeah. You know, and, and so and the breathing issues and uh, the other sedation issues, if you know, because uh, uh, opioids can cause significant sedation. If you're already taking not related to your workers comp injury, but you're already taking a sedative medication such as an Ambien or the generic name of Zolpidem or some of the newer ones that have come out, that can be I mean, you start throwing one on top of another The one of the. Uh, common rules that we go by is if you're taking eight or more drugs, workers comp, not workers comp, whatever, you've got a hundred percent chance of at least one significant drug interaction. And I'm sure that uh, Julie and Jennifer and your work have seen people with a lot more than eight drugs in their therapies, not just workers comp, but all their drugs. So it's a real issue. Right. Right. And, and like I said, I, you know, we'll talk about kind of maybe what your recommendations or what your thoughts are, but, but truthfully, um, and we say this really across the board with MSAs, but I think it's especially true when we're talking about things like these opioid use, which is again, the more you can stay with it, get on top of it early and stay with it and watch that, the better off you are. But as Julie, you kind of alluded to, I'd like to talk a minute about kind of, um, you know, like a detox or a tapering and weaning um, good options, but um, in our world, you have to make sure they follow through, right? Because CMS will go ahead and project out whatever the, they're taking for life. Um, so if you start down that tapering and weaning, you have to kind of make sure that that finishes um, before you kind of send that over for that CMS approval, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the reference guide does contain uh, a provision that the review contractor will take into consideration any evidence of weaning or tapering, but you're absolutely right that it has to be established. So, you know, by the time you get, you know, you take the period of time to wean someone, hopefully it's successful, but then you want to have a period of time go by that establishes that they are not, you know, going to go back on these types of drugs. So um, yeah, from an MSA standpoint, it's, you know, it's a problem because, I think anecdotally, we have seen that there are fewer uh, opioids being allocated, but I think that's a function of the doctors just prescribing fewer. And, um, you know, we've had so much uh, focus, uh, state-wise, federal-wise, you know, wise litigation, you know, on the effects of these drugs. So, you know, it's, it's kind of bad medicine now, but the CMS policy really hasn't changed, that they will allocate, you know, whatever is the use at the time that you're submitting the MSA and then project it for the life expectancy of the claimant. And that that really kind of reminds me, a couple of versions ago, you mentioned the work comp reference guide, they, um, they included the highly recommend professional administration when people are using what they refer to as frequently abused drugs. Interesting to me that they attacked it on that end, on the administration end, 
and they they really didn't do anything on that front end, right? You were just talking about how they allocate. Well, I, I would like to get both of your thoughts on, you know, what you thought about kind of when they came up with that and them really attacking it from, from that back end on the administration versus doing some type of an adjustment on the front end. Well, I think that um, I, I would agree that, especially in the case of opioids, professional administration or is, is really is, is important that the patient just doesn't get their prescriptions, you know, ad, ad nauseum, that there's somebody watching out for it, that they have a card where a set of criteria is used to make sure the patient's not getting medications that are not good together or not getting long doses and so forth. One thing I want to go back to and mention a minute ago is uh, Julie was so right about the number of opioid prescriptions dropping. And as much as we, I, we'd like to all think that it's because of all the programs, not just in workers' comp, but in general, most findings show that the main reason the number of opioid prescriptions have gone down are the statewide prescription drug monitoring programs. I know Illinois has a good one, um, as does Iowa and Tennessee, the three that I'm familiar with, that really, you know, you have to, the pharmacies have to turn in information to the state, you know, in most cases within seven days of a prescription being dispensed, and the prescribers know that those are be, those, that data is being looked at not only by pharmacists, but also by officials at the state. So, you know, uh, I think that's, that's also made a big issue, but I would agree that some type of professional administration whether it's through an individual, an individual pharmacist, or through an, a, a, a company that does that type of work, I think that's very important for the patient in the case of opioids. Yeah, I would I would agree. I think you know while we would like to see some action taken by CMS on the front end, uh, you know professional administration is a really great option for these cases. First time I came across any professional administration it was a presentation and it left me impressed that they have, you know, drug management programs and opportunities for diversion. You know, they have clinicians that can, you know, help these uh, individuals find, you know, substance abuse treatment and alternative treatment. And, you know, I would add, you know, one thing that struck me was, you know, ethically as a person who is a professional who is submitting and getting approvals back that contain these drugs projected out for several years, you know, there's some degree of, uh, you know, satisfaction and relief that there there's support for these individuals, you know, because no one really wants to see them taking these drugs for these periods of time. So, you know, you, um, you mentioned, and we both did that we, you know, would like to see CMS do something. What are your thoughts? Um, what would you guys like to see, you know, maybe not only CMS do, but even our group, MSPN Network, you know, what do you think we should be doing in this space, um, you know, to kind of take a look at that or, or make an impact on that? I think a couple of things. Uh, this is kind of off the wall a little bit, but I do believe that CMS ought to consider uh, re-reviewing any opioid containing MSA over a period of time, maybe in two years or three years or something, to take a look and see whether or not the patient, the injured worker slash patient is still taking those opioids at the level they were before. And if they are, why are they? And if they aren't, to, to drop the, uh, the amount of the MSA, I, I think, and that's kind of a radical approach, I think, you know, with all the people, all the reports that turned in, but I think that's, uh, 
that's probably one of the best ways I think that we're going to see um, a reduction in the amounts of the opioids in the MSAs. I kind of like that. It's a little out there, but yes, yeah, some way that you could red flag, you could red flag those MSAs. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of like that. Um, I mean, I would say, you know, MSPN, it was their evidence-based medicine committee that was really, you know, part of the movement towards, uh, you know, even taking a look at this issue. And so I think that, you know, as an, as a, industry as an organization, we should continue to promote, you know, evidence-based MSAs. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there are excellent alternative treatments. You know, something I mentioned before was biofeedback, different therapies, including I've seen acupuncture, uh, you know, psychological support. And, you know, I'm not sure how this would work, but, you know, can the MSAs uh, be held to the same edits as Part D plans? Right. You know, they have, you know, opioid overutilization yep. initiatives and requirements and, you know, safety reviews and why are those kinds of professional administration or yep. reviews for those types of things? You're right. And I think it needs to be said, it's not, it's not solely that we just want to lower, you know, the cost of the MSAs. We just know, you know, handing these people these, this amount where we have, you know, projected out this, these opioids that they're taking now for the rest of their lives, that's not healthy for, for them um, either. It's just, it's just, you know, not, I don't think the best way to handle it to just handle it. And you're right, you know, professional administration on the back end is, is a good thing too, but, but, you know, it's, it seems like we're not solving the problem. You know, we're kind of trying to put a, a bandaid on it on the back end. So, I, you know, personally, I think I agree with Steve. I think a lot of this is being done or a lot of the successful stuff is being done on the state level, right? It is, it is knowing that there's an eye there maybe makes people, you know, act a little bit differently, right? The one thing I would, that I would like to see added to those programs is in a lot of cases, uh, data is not shared between states. Some states do, but there's a lot of things that go on across state lines, you know, like in in Iowa, the Quad Cities with Davenport and Bettendorf and Rock Island, Moline and East Moline, there's a lot of prescribing going back and forth. That's just an example. And I know there's a number of other states and cities, but that's an area where that could be improved as well to improve that, uh, that type of information. But yeah, Jennifer, I think you're absolutely right. Well, you guys, I can't thank you enough for joining us today for, for a, a short discussion about the opioids. I think uh, Steve hit on the head. I think we should have more of these. So I think I think we'll consider uh, regrouping after uh, the first of the year and um, maybe doing a little bit more, a little bit of a deeper dive. I know you had mentioned, you know, talking about interactions and, and kind of the dependency thing. I think that would be fascinating. Uh, for the listeners to do. So thank you both of you so much um, for setting aside some time and talking to us today. We greatly appreciate it. Well, thank you for the invitation, Jennifer. Yeah, thanks, Jen. Good to be with you both.